May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I once heard a politician say, in the Bible, it says they asked Jesus how many times you should forgive, and he said 77 times. Well, I want all of you to know that I'm keeping a chart. Sometimes I, I feel the same way. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness doesn't seem natural, especially when every single bone in your body is telling you to seek revenge. When Jesus says to Peter, you are to forgive not seven times, but 77 times, he's actually uh, reversing the effects of a story told in Genesis about revenge. The story from Genesis uh, says that a family who sins against another family should be avenged for 77 generations. Now, before we commit the heresy of Marcionism, the heresy that says that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, that the God of the Old Testament is the vengeful God and the God of the New Testament is a merciful God, it should be noted that this 77-year cycle or generation cycle of vengeance is actually made by uh, Lamech, not God. Anyway, Jesus is obviously pushing against a worldview that believes vengeance is how justice is to be served. Like Lamech's world, we too live in a world that believes that justice can be achieved through vengeance. We live in a world whose understanding of justice is punitive, in that we believe when the, uh, when the uh, offender is punished fairly, then justice is accomplished. Once they pay for their sins, justice is then accomplished. But the problem with punitive justice is that it's woefully incomplete. It can't heal wounds, nor neither the wound of the one who was hurt, nor the wounds of those who did the hurting. As Gandhi once said, an eye for an eye will leave the entire world blind. Jesus, therefore, wants to see a different kind of justice. Jesus is interested in a justice that we might call restorative justice, a kind of justice that seeks healing and hopes for reconciliation. Restorative justice not only restores the offender, but also the one who is the victim, the one who is sinned against. Rabbi Kushner tells the story of a, a single mother, uh, recently divorced, who struggles to raise her three children on a meager salary. The mother resents her ex-husband, who's now off in another state with his new wife. Meanwhile, she's left without child support and struggling to make ends meet. She can't even take her kids to the movies because she can't afford it. And then the rabbi tells her she must forgive him. The single mother, um, not surprisingly, or uh, says, how can you tell me to forgive him? The rabbi answers, I'm not asking you to forgive him because what he did was acceptable. It wasn't. It was mean. It was selfish. I'm asking you to forgive because he doesn't deserve the power to live in your head and turn you into a bitter, angry woman. You keep on holding on to him. You're not hurting him by holding on to that resentment but you're hurting yourself. In this post-enlightened age, it might be helpful to note, it, note that science backs up the truth that forgiveness is good for the victim, spiritually, emotionally, physically. 
When we hold on to anger, when we hold on to resentment, we store that up in our bodies, in our souls. Um, we, when we don't forgive, we are letting the offender to con- we are letting the offender continue to hurt us. Now, I'm well aware that forgiveness is hard; that it's easier said than done. There are crimes committed every day that, by human standards, should be unforgivable. Forgiveness isn't something that happens overnight. It isn't really something that we can even do when we try harder. Actually, forgiveness is only something that can happen with a, through a relationship with a God whose property is always to have mercy. But also, remember, forgiveness doesn't, doesn't mean that the offender should, shouldn't experience consequences. It doesn't mean that the offender, it, excuse me, it doesn't mean that the offender shouldn't be removed from whatever situation they're in. Uh, Forgiveness doesn't mean going back to the way things were. Rather, forgiveness is simply meant to free you from the sinful act, free you from letting the sinful act continue to hurt you. Forgiveness also doesn't mean forgetting. The scar will always be there. The scar will be a reminder of how you've been hurt, but it's also a reminder of how you've lived beyond the scar. Remember when Jesus emerges from the tomb, his resurrected body still has the wounds on his hand and his feet. We too can live beyond those wounds with God's help. That's the hope of the gospel. However, if we hold on to that sinful act, we are essentially picking at the wound again and again, which makes healing impossible. If you need help letting go of your own sin or the sin that has happened against you, please let Emily or me know. If we can't help, we can find someone who can. Now, after Jesus does this teaching on how often we should forgive, he tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. In this parable, the slave of the servant is forgiven an astronomical amount, an amount that not even the number one person on the Forbes 500 list could pay back. The same slave or servant is then asked to forgive the sum equivalent to three months' pay, significantly less. The slave or servant apparently has a short memory, and refuses to forgive. When the king who forgave this astronomical debt hears about this, he is infuriated and he throws the slave into debtor's prison until he can pay it back, which doesn't make any sense because he will never be able to make money to pay him back. Biblical commentators suggest that the amount initially forgiven by the king represents the wealth of Israel during that time, the entire GDP of the nation. Uh, One might conclude then that the entire debt of a country is forgiven through this one slave or servant. Perhaps this foreshadows the story of the cross when, through one man, the debt of all is forgiven. As I mentioned earlier, just because there is forgiveness doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Someone must bear the cost. And the cross is where the sin of the whole world is borne by Jesus of Nazareth. And do you remember what Jesus says in Luke when he looks upon the crowd? He doesn't condemn them for putting him there. He doesn't curse them for the next 77 generations. He essentially aims to stop the cycle of vengeance and violence when he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. They do not know what they do. This is awful generous of Jesus to say, to say that we don't know what we do. But now, as we look at the other side of the cross, as we look Jesus there, 
hanging there, how can we not know what we've done? In some form or fashion, we've destroyed the image of God and our brothers and sisters. We've failed to respect the dignity of every human being. Um, we have forgotten that everyone we meet in their face is the child and image of God. So who are we then, like Paul says, to withhold forgiveness? God knows that it is impossible to forgive the person who hurt you like that all on your own. God knows it's impossible to forgive yourself after you did something like that. But with God, all things are possible. If you can't forgive for the sake of the other, if you can't forgive for the sake of yourself, forgive because, because of what God did for you and the whole world on the cross. God in Christ makes it possible to forgive ourselves, to forgive others. There is no sinful act so heinous that puts someone outside of God's saving embrace. When Jesus emerges from the tomb three days later, he does so carrying the, the scars that the wounds of the cross left behind. He also emerges into a new world and a new, a new being, a new creation. Jesus is different. At first, his disciples don't even recognize him. Only after seeing his scars do they believe. When we forgive others, there is no doubt that a part of ourselves will die. Part of us will die. But if we are to move on, that part of us must die. Otherwise, we are going to stay there right beneath the cross, picking that wound again and again. As Jesus, as Jesus' three-day stay in the tomb suggests, God does give us time to grieve that part of us that dies with, with forgiveness. That's a part of the healing process. In time, though, if we let it, God's own forgiveness will pull us out of the tomb into the new world, a new life. On the other side of the tomb, we will be the same person, but our life will tell a new story. We will carry ourselves differently, stronger and more confident in the person God made us to be, as wise as the serpent and as gentle as a dove. Our open wounds will have transformed into scars that tell a story of perseverance and hope to those who remain stuck at the foot of the cross. So no wonder God doesn't want to keep a chart. No wonder God isn't a good home plate umpire. God will not rest until the power of forgiveness and the hope of resurrection transforms this world into the world that embraces a kind of justice that demands healing and wholeness for all. Amen. And now we